0: Uh, we are going to make our way to the Christmas story, <laughs> eventually. But I like a lot of people. I don't like dangling chads. And we were right in the middle of a chapter, and I didn't want to leave us where we were, and so we're going to be wrapping up chapter, or actually, for starting chapter 14 this morning. Uh, As we begin that, I just want to challenge us with the idea that we live in a day, I think, in our land that is rather unique compared to past history and, you know, there are buzzwords that are going around all over the place and one of those is to be politically correct. Uh, And and to be politically correct means to remove any distinctions that there are Amongst people, even though there are obvious distinctions to be made between people, and if you're not willing to always do that, then you're considered to be uh, maybe a bigot, maybe a racist, maybe an uncaring person, uh, et cetera, etc. But I want to challenge us with the idea this morning that of all the things that exist in this world, perhaps the gospel is the most politically incorrect thing there is. Uh, the reason for that, uh, I say that, is because the Bible, the gospel itself, makes a very great distinction amongst people. And we've seen this over and over and over again in this, this book of Revelation. And that's the distinction that God makes between those who have his seal and those who have the mark of the beast. There is no getting away from it and being faithful to the Christian faith. The gospel is a great message. It is a beautiful message. It is a wonderful message. There is no greater message for those who believe it. But for those who don't, Amber snuck in here. For those who don't, It is a message of judgment. See, in the eyes of God, there are two types of people in the world. Those who believe and those who don't. Now, we understand that Jesus is coming back. That's declared a number of times all over the book of Revelation. It's declared in other places in Scripture. That Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back for a lot of reasons. But but one of the great reasons is this, is that he's going to make clear the distinction between those two groups of people. Those who believe will be ushered into paradise for all of eternity, and those who do not will be cast into the lake of fire. Now, how, well do you, how popular do you think that message might be in the world today around us? There might be people ready to throw rocks at me for saying these things. But the, thing of, the fact of the matter is, is this, this is the Bible, guys. This is one of the key messages of the Bible. That God is going to bring everything into judgment. And that will take place at the second coming of Jesus into this world. That distinction becomes very clear here in chapter 14. We've seen it alluded to a number of times before this, but, but you're going to see it more and more in the forefront as we continue through this great book. So let me begin reading chapter 14 this morning. And I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harps or harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women. For they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the lamb. Uh, And no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. And I saw another angel flying in heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people and he said with a loud voice "Fear god and give him glory because the hour of his judgment is come and worship him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of water and another angel a second one followed saying fallen fallen is babylon the great she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality and another angel a third one followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, uh, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest Uh, Day and night, those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, as a spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. Quite obviously, we know who the lamb is, introduced all the way back in Revelation chapter 5, actually earlier than that. But uh, as the lamb who was slain in chapter 5, as he entered into the throne room, uh, the heavenly throne room of of God, this 144,000, the same, I would say, is the same 144,000 that we studied in detail back in chapter 7. Verses 4 and following. Uh, Now, some things I do want to comment on here. First of all, Mount Zion. We all know that Mount Zion is the name that's given to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, uh, where the temple was built uh, by Solomon so many years ago, and then destroyed and then rebuilt and then destroyed again by the Romans in 70 A.D. And, uh, And the Temple Mount has was laid there until eventually the Dome of the Rock was built on the Temple Mount by the Muslims. There are people who want to read this as if Jesus is literally standing physically on this particular mount in the, the, the real city of Jerusalem here on earth. Some people have made a very big deal about this. What I would say to you is we need to let the context determine our understanding of things. And if we read through a few verses, we understand that this 144,000 is in heaven when they're singing. So, whereas Jesus, when all this is taking place, he is in heaven. We would think about this as being the heavenly Mount Zion. That this is a figurative kind of thing to be understood in that manner and remember the 144,000 is a symbolic number it is not a literal number it's 12 times 12 times a thousand 12 represents perfection in the book of revelation so it's perfection upon perfection multiplied by a thousand it refers to all believers In every generation, if you think back to chapter 7, it makes it very clear where they're described as being such a number that it's so great no one could count it. There's something special about them, and that is that they have the name of the Lamb and the name of the Father written on their foreheads. They have the seal of God. They are those who were sealed. Here's a voice in heaven, coming from heaven. Like the sound of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. Jesus' voice actually is described as being the sound of many waters. Earlier in this book. How many people have been to Niagara Falls? Okay. One thing about Niagara Falls is you can hear it before you get to it, before you actually see it. And once you get to it, there is no conversation going on with you, between you and the people around you, because there is this thunderous noise that is unceasing. It goes on and on and on. This is how this sound is from heaven. It is very loud. Now, loud doesn't necessarily mean good. I can remember going to lots of rock concerts when I was a teenager and leaving there and and not being really able to hear anything for some time after that because the noise was so great that it deadens your hearing mechanism. Uh, and I would not describe rock music very often as being beautiful, but we need to understand that this music that is coming is not only loud, but it is unbelievably, undescribably beautiful. Described as the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they, and who is they? Well, they they are the 144,000. Where are they? They're they're in heaven. They sing a new song. Where? Before the throne in heaven. Before those four living creatures who are in heaven. And before the elders who are in heaven. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. It is their song. It is our song. It is the song of the redeemed. Even angels can't sing it. Even angels don't know the words to it. It is a song that is appropriate only for those who have been redeemed by the life, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ into the heavenly places. I hope that we would be described as a people of the Word. If people came here and visited the church, and one of the things they'd say about the church is they really love the Word of God. They stay in the Word of God. They study the Word of God. I would hope they would describe us as a people of prayer. That these people are, are, are about praying. They pray very regularly for one another and for all kinds of things. They have prayer meetings during the week. They pray in their Bible study groups. They pray in their women's groups. They spend a good bit of their meetings, whether they're deacons or elders, in prayer. They have a men's prayer group every week. They have a women's prayer group every week. So it would be great for hear that, for people to say, this is a church of people that are about the Word of God and they're about prayer. But we also need to be a people who are about songs. About singing. Some of you may have been told at one time or another that you can't sing a note. You need to keep your mouth shut. Sound like a belly goat when you sing. Ignore them. Because God has ears to hear. What you have to say to him. And he wants to hear it from you. There's a popular song by Mercy Me that's been on the radio in more recent weeks. And I can't even remember the title of it. But it says this in one of the verses. Whenever you realize what you have inside, it's only a matter of time before you sing. That when you have been enlightened by the truth and the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ applied to you, there is such joy, there is such comfort, there is such grace that you can't hold it in. And song is one of the ways that we have of letting it out. Does anyone here play the harp? Has anyone here ever played the harp? Has anyone ever heard someone else play the harp? I have one time in my lifetime. It really is beautiful music. It's it's, 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 it's the, the instrument of choice, musical instrument of choice, as far as the heavenly places go, obviously, because it's always mentioned or very often mentioned. You may not have thought too much about this, but there's a sense in which a piano is just a harp that's turned on its side. It shapes very similar to it It's a stringed instrument. The only difference is, is that as far as a harp goes, as you pluck the strings and with a piano the strings are struck. Uh, so maybe those people who really believe that the piano is God's ordained instrument in the church. Maybe there's some reason for possibly concluding that to some degree. These 144,000 have been purchased from the earth, purchased by Jesus, purchased by his acts and by his blood. We don't like to think sometimes of ourselves as being purchased because when you think about purchase, that means you belong to somebody. In other words, you're no longer your own person. You're theirs. Some people might even think of Christianity as almost becoming enslaved in a bad way. But there is a sense in which that's true. He's our master. He's not only our Lord. He's not only our redeemer. He's our master. Very often we think we have a choice in whether we do his bidding or not. There's a sense in which we do. But ultimately, we really don't. He has paid the price an unbelievable, massive, incomprehensible price just to save Charlie Barker and Amber. For everyone who believes and everyone who will believe. This is the gift of Christmas. Jesus coming as a child is just the beginning of it. I hope you know what it means to be purchased by God. There's nothing like it on earth or in heaven. They haven't been defiled with women. Does that mean that they're sinless? Some people would try to read that into this, that they've never committed a sexual sin in their lifetime. They've kept themselves chaste. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. Does that sound like you? Just remember as we were reading in chapter 13 about the beast and the image of the beast that was made. And people were encouraged to bow down to it and worship it. See, what I would say to you is there is a they're using, or John is using, God ultimately is using the picture of sexual sin uh, in reference to those who have worshiped and bowed down to the beast and to his image. So these are the ones who have not done that. As we said before, as we studied these passages, we 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 know that many people expect the beast to be a real individual person who comes into the world at a particular moment to accomplish particular things, and there may be some ground for doing that, if indeed. It's the same reference as a man of lawlessness, which Paul makes very clear, is a person who comes. And that may be it. But I just remember this. That the, the book of Revelation is a, bull, uh, is a book of symbolism. That many things are symbolic of other things. And we know this, that, that in many circles that this beast would also be known as the Antichrist, right? Or as an Antichrist. So what I would say, too, is it's probably more likely this principle that is entered into the picture and it has been here present in every generation. There are temptations out there that are given in every generation to people to encourage them to worship things that are not God. To worship worldly things. To give themselves wholeheartedly to sin and all of its ugliness. And the crazy thing about it is, it happens in every generation, but at the same time, we see this destructive force that sin has been in the world. It has always been a destructive force in the world, ever since the Garden of Eden. It's never accomplished anything good, it destroys people, it tears people down, it gives false hopes, it makes false promises. It's easy to follow the world. Is the world attempting to lure you and I today away from our Lord? Is that something we can probably look forward to the rest of our life? It happens all the time. We're confronted with it all the time. And one of the scariest things about it is sometimes we actually come to the conclusion and we can't run away from it, and that is that I am the beast. I am my own worst beast. I continually get in my own way. I'm blocking myself from the way of holiness. Because I have those besetting sins that just keep raising their ugly head over and over and over again. And no matter how great my resolve to no longer do those things, whammo bammo, there it is all over again. We can't believe that verse 4 here is talking about these perfect people who've never sinned. Because those people do not exist anywhere, in any time. They are sinners, but they're special sinners. They are those who have heard the gospel and they have chosen to follow the Lamb. And that means follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Not just when He goes to the places that we like. Some of those are missionaries. They follow the Lamb all the way to places like Rotterdam, in Uganda, and in India. Just got a note the other day from a couple of pastor friends of mine. They work with Don Mountain. One's name is Chuck MacArthur, and the other is Jim Whittle. They're in India right now. And what they do is they go go to India, and they go to africa primarily and they 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 train pastors because very often you may not realize this but there's a large percentage of pastors in the world that never have any training at all they have the bible that's it they don't have any theological training they don't have any other kind of training at all and so they go and they do this it doesn't and it doesn't cost them one penny And their approach to ministry is working. Because what they're saying is this, is the way that we can have the most impact upon the world is by affecting and having impact upon the the leaders of the church. That this little ministry that Don Mountain started a number of years ago has a potential today of affecting millions of people in this world. But Chuck and, uh, and, and, and Jim Whittle there in Delhi, India right now, they stopped to have something to eat the other day. They got back to their car and someone had broken in, stole all of their clothes, stole their passports, stole everything really they had. Now, how would you deal with that situation? It certainly would not be easy. And let me ask you something. Do you think maybe some thoughts like this might go through your head? Let me get this straight, God. Here I am in in, in Delhi to, to, to be here to do your bidding, to do your work, and you let this happen to me. Do you think he might possibly think something like that? I don't know what I would do with it. It would be very easy to become completely unglued. (laughs) But, for one thing, Jesus is in control. Nothing happens apart from his will. And let me tell you something. Jim... And Chuck will learn things from this particular situation that they would not learn otherwise. God doesn't make mistakes. Ever. Do we follow the Lamb wherever he goes? Jesus says this. He says, I know my own and my own know me. He also says, all the Father has given to me. Come to me. Other characteristics of the people. There is no lie in their mouth. They are blameless. Whoa. We were talking about this. I'm so thankful for, for Brian being willing to teach, uh, desiring to teach Sunday school. It helps me out a lot that I'm able to focus more on some things, some weeks, and, uh, and all of that. But we're talking about righteousness this morning. It was so good to hear people. When the, when the question was brought up, are you righteous? People be able to say yes. But there's a but. But not because of me. Not because of what I've done. I'm righteous because my faith is in Jesus and he is the perfectly righteous one. And through him, I am declared righteous in the eyes of God. Do you know, really? I mean, do you understand? Again, the gospel is. Someone said this to me just not too long ago, someone I love very dearly that's passed since. But we were talking one day, and they looked at me and they said, This, you know, the gospel is only good news if you believe it. If you don't believe it, it's not good news at all. You know your heart. You know where you're at. I don't. I can't read minds. I can't read hearts. Jesus wants all of you. Not just scraps that you throw his way. He wants every bit of you. And he's paid the price already. Don't fight him any longer. Don't put limitations on what you will do and what you won't do. I'll go that far, but don't ask me to do that because there's no way that's going to happen. Let me tell you, if you have never stepped beyond your comfort zone as a believer, you're not being faithful to your Lord Jesus. It means doing things you feel very uncomfortable doing sometimes. We're celebrating Christmas for a whole month. I'm not so sure we shouldn't celebrate Christmas every week. (laughs) It should almost be like a sacrament (laughs) that we do on a very regular basis. And it's a time, there's an advantage that we as Christians have during this time every year. And that is people very often are more in tune to talk about these Christian things than they are at other times of the year. And I understand this, that so many people out there have made Christmas into something it was never intended to be and it doesn't look anything like the Christmas that we celebrate and all of that with Christ at the middle of it. But there is a message of, of love and peace, in a sense, that goes out to this world around us. Maybe those people that you've been witnessing to now for so long and praying for for so long, maybe, maybe they'd be more inclined to listen to what you have to say to them in these days. Celebrate, guys and gals. Celebrate, celebrate when you celebrate more. There's nothing like it. If we can't celebrate the Christmas, Christmas, which is basically the gospel, can't celebrate anything. It is wonderful. It is beautiful. It is amazing. It is incomprehensible that God would love us like He does, but He has shown us proof in the pudding that He does. Because God's love is what motivates all of this. That's how much He loves us. That God Himself would become a man for Ollie Hilliard and for Norma for Joanne we can't celebrate this I don't know what it would take